Okay, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and uh, verse 1. <coughs> Let's open with, with prayer. Father, we thank you for this book. We thank you for all the different topics that it covers and gives us instructions for. And, and that uh, you did provide that for us, Lord. And uh, we do pray that as we study this morning that you'll help us to hear and understand your word and that we'll find blessing in it. And we just, again, thank you for that. Pray you'll uh, give us insight as we study. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, so I th- to get started, we're going to read verses 1 through 17. We're not going to get that far. <laughs> so that'll give us uh, our context. Verses 1 through 17. Joe, you want to start for us? Paul, oh, called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and your brother Sosthenes. To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God for you because of his grace given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you are enriched in him and in all speech and all knowledge. Okay, would you like to read verse 6 or you can just say pass? <laughs> pass? Okay. <laughs> Even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you. Therefore, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. Who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that... All of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. For it has been reported to me by Charlie's people that there be quarreling among you, my brothers. Now I mean this, that each of one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one may say that you are baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the house of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Jesus be emptied of its power. Okay, now, I should say, we are having a baptism today, but this does not (laughs) reduce the importance of baptism. Paul is just saying, look, you can't brag that you were baptized by me, and that's his point. I think it shows how they used to baptize back in those days. I was baptized because he goes, well, I only did these two. Well, then, I I also did this one, and I can't remember if I did anybody else. Right. Yeah. He didn't want anybody bragging about, well, I was baptized by Billy Graham, you know, so my baptism is better than anybody else's kind of a thing. No. You so. suppose the one being baptized remembers better than the one that was being baptized? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe. Okay, verse 1. Um, 
Paul called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God and Sosthenes our brother. So last week we introduced the book. We looked at the history. It was uh, a Greek city-state. It was destroyed by Rome about 150 BC and then they rebuilt it in 44 BC um, by Julius Caesar. And it's... Uh, so it was a center of um, like Roman government for that region. It was an important commercial city because of different kinds of... Uh, it was a crossroads between the main sea transport route and the main land transport route. So it, it kind of controlled two different uh, commercial routes. We saw that there was a wide variety of ethnic, social backgrounds and different layers, wealthy people, poor people, um, just a wide variety of people. We saw that it has a Greek and Roman history, both. Um, a wide variety of religions. I mean, it was like Athens, where Paul says, you know, you've got um, statues to every idol, or idols for every god you can think of, and they were like that. Um, we also noted that it had a history of sexual fornication. To be a Corinthian meant to be a fornicator. So, um, not a good background. And that's what Paul went into. So in verse 1 we mention, um, so Paul's writing, he also mentions Sosthenes, our brother. So last week in Acts chapter 18 we saw that um, Sosthenes had been the leader of the synagogue when they brought Paul before the Roman um, procurator um, and then they, he tossed the whole case out of court because he didn't want anything to do with the Jewish religious squabbles and then Sosthenes got beaten up by somebody we're not told whether it was the Jews from the temple or whether it was the Greeks but now uh, this epistle is written in, uh, about five years later in 55 or 56 BC and now we have Sosthenes listed as uh, um, as one of the persons who is greeting them. Okay. Come on in. Come on in. Come on in. Okay. So we're, we're in 1 Corinthians. We're just starting chapter 1, verse 1. Brand new study. We're just starting. Yeah, we gave some of the uh, background last week is all. So let's, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 16. Someone like to read verse 8. Okay. I will remain in Ephesus. So he's writing from Ephesus. So typically when Paul wrote letters and he included another name in the, in the greeting, it was because that person was with him at that particular place where he was writing. So Sosthenes is with Paul in Ephesus. So he became one of his traveling companions. He went on the ministry with him. So um, maybe the the Jews or the Greeks beat some sense into his head and he decided, you know, this Christianity looks like a real good deal and I'm going to go, go into it. So he's, he's with Paul there in uh, Ephesus. Um, 
And since he's from their, their region, from their church, their original synagogue, he wants, you know, Paul includes his name in the greeting. He had been in charge of the synagogue, is that what he got beat? Is that... He was, yeah, he was in charge of the synagogue. Um, and the rioters and, beat him, I can't remember what the circumstance was of beating him. Yeah, well. But we aren't sure. Who right. Yeah, yeah. The, the circumstances are a little unclear, but. That's what I said the, in my mind. Yeah, the first. <laughs> Paul, Paul always went to the synagogues first. <clears throat> he took the message first to the Jews. So he went to the synagogue, and the synagogue leader believed in Christ. So the first synagogue leader was converted, and then they basically kicked him out of the synagogue, so he went next door to a, a home of one of the other people who had converted. And Sosthenes apparently replaced the first one, and then he got beaten up by a crowd leader and also was converted. I didn't realize they were, so. he was the second one. He was the second one, yeah. Or they were all, they were all leaders at the same time as possible, yeah. So... Um, so he's writing about this is about five years after he had been in Corinth uh, writing from Ephesus and that was on his second missionary journey when he was his, the first time? Uh, his, he went to Corinth on a second missionary journey yeah right now 1 Corinthians the, the general arrangement's different than a lot of his other epistles Typically, you know, you, you read uh, Ephesians, Colossians, Philippians, those. He starts out with giving them teaching, doctrine, and then the latter half is the practical application. Um, and Corinthians is not arranged that way. Um, it's just a whole list of either problems or topics that Paul addresses one by one. And... You know, you, a lot of times you can look at outlines of the book if you, you know, in the, um, look at different commentaries. Um, I was looking at the John MacArthur commentary, and instead of an outline, he just lists the topics that Paul covers in this book. So I'll read those off. <laughs> Unity, servanthood, morality, marriage, liberty, Men and women in the church, the Lord's Supper, spiritual gifts, resurrection, and stewardship. So that's a whole big passel of topics um, that, that he addresses here. And he, he's gone from uh, Corinth, but he is in touch with them. He's got a lot of, there's communication going back and forth. So he knows what's going on in the church there. And we can see that. Let's, we'll, we'll go through some verses here and see the interaction between Paul and the church while he's gone for these five years. Let's, uh, in chapter 1, would someone like to read verse 11? For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by Chloe's people, that there are quarrels among you. Okay, so he has gotten a message from Chloe's people. About this one problem. Um, let's go to chapter 5. Someone like to read verse 1 for us there. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of the kind that is not tolerated 
Okay, so here's another report of a problem. You know, we're not told if it was the same group of people who brought the first report, but so we have another report that Paul has received. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, would someone like to read verse 9 for us? I wrote you a letter um, not, to, not, not to associate with sexually immoral, immoral people. Okay, so Paul had written another letter. This, so 1 Corinthians is not the first letter he wrote to them. There's been another letter that he wrote to address some of the problems that they had earlier. So this is now his, 1 Corinthians is actually his second letter as far as we know. So we've got that second letter. Okay, now let's look at chapter 7. And someone would like to read verse 1 for us. Now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Okay, so they had written to him. Now whether that was in before the first letter or in response to this first letter, they had written with a list of questions. So they had asked questions. So he's getting reports about the problems they're having. They're sending letters, asking him questions. And then finally, let's turn to chapter 16. And someone would like to read verse 17 for us. Some names here, so. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Achaicus because they supplied what was lacking on your part. Okay, so here's this group of three men who have come from Corinth to Ephesus, and I'm sure Paul is talking to them about how are the people doing, what are the issues. So um, even though he's not there, he's up on the issues and the things that are going on in the church. One of the things he talks about, and it might be, in, we might get to it in 1 Corinthians, is he talks about the constant concern of, for the churches is one of the things, one of the struggles that he has. Uh, besides the persecutions that he goes through, there's the constant burden of the churches. And so he's very much concerned about the Corinthians. So Paul has this whole list of issues and problems that we're going to be looking at, and you might think, wow, this is really a horrible church. But on the other hand, um, I think this is God's plan to give us teaching on all these different topics. A lot of them are not mentioned anywhere else in the New Testament, or they're not covered in much depth. And so as we go through 1 Corinthians, it's, um, there's going to be a lot of topics that he's going to cover and give us guidance on. So it's, you know, they may have struggled, but it's a blessing for the church for all the centuries afterward to have all this written down. Because otherwise, how would you bring it up? I mean, if you have an example of it, then you can show why it's not right. Right. Because, you know, once a month we have communion, I read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. That's where it tells us about communion. Um, there's little bits and pieces well, I'm going to say there's another little bit and piece, but it's also in 1 Corinthians. <laughs> so, so we wouldn't know very much about communion if it wasn't the fact that they were having problems at communion. So, 
So God gave us these instructions. Okay, anyways, going back to verse 1. Paul is called as an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. An apostle, that word means one who is sent out with the authority of the one who sends them. It's like in, um, when you look at governments, you send out an ambassador. They represent the government. They have a certain amount of authority delegated to them. Or if you have a business, you send out an agent. That agent has legal authority. Um, you know, in lawsuits and things, if an agent of a company has committed the company, they are the company's legally required. So he's an ambassador or an agent of Jesus Christ. And it also says, his, you know, it's by God's will. God is the one who picked him. He didn't put a, take it upon himself to say, I'm going to represent Jesus Christ. Um, and again, when you look at Paul's conversion, on the road to Damascus, that wasn't his choice. God picked him and said, you are going to represent me. Jesus said, you are going to represent me before kings. So he has the authority of Jesus Christ. And so that's going to be important as we go through this book because there's a lot of correction, a lot of instruction here. And they can't just say, well, you know, that's just Paul's opinion. No, it's from a legal agent of Jesus Christ instructing them what to do and what not to do. So it, that establishes his authority in this book. Now one other interesting thing I wanted to cover before we get to uh, verse 2. Um, you know, we've already talked about when Paul writes from Ephesus, you know, he includes Sosthenes because Sosthenes was there with him, ministering with him in Ephesus. Well, who was with him in Corinth? Who, who was with him ministering to the Corinthians way back at the beginning in, in Acts chapter 18? Do you remember? He said he came to Corinth and he stayed with, who were the tent makers? Oh, Aquila right. and Priscilla. Yeah. And so he, he stayed with them. He was alone and he stayed with them. And then... Timothy and Silas, who were his partners on the second journey, showed up, and then he was able to go full-time in the ministry. So Timothy and Silas uh, were with him there in the church. Um, and we can, we can find that also because he was in Corinth for a year and a half, and when he was in Corinth, he wrote First and Second Thessalonians. So those are the first two books that he wrote, the first two letters that we have. Those are the oldest of his writings. So let's turn to 1 Thessalonians and just someone like to read verse 1 for us. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace. Okay, and you might have a note that says Silvanus is also Silas, just different forms of the same name. So here we see Paul and his two traveling companions, his assistants, uh, Silas and Timothy, are writing to the Thessalonians. Um, Second Thessalonians, verse 1, is almost identical. I think it might be identical word for word to this greeting. Um, 
But one of the things I wanted to look at this for was um, for a second reason. Um, in, when he writes to the Thessalonians, he's writing to the church of the Thessalonians. So that's pretty common greeting, the church of the Thessalonians. Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and we'll look at verses 2 and 3. And he says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling, with all who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So instead of calling them, he's not writing to the church of the Corinthians, he's writing to the church of God, which is at Corinth. There's a little different emphasis here. He's, he's, he's writing to really the universal church, and in particular those believers who are at Corinth. Um, Maybe he didn't want to say the name. <laughs> that could be, yeah. It had bad connotations, as we saw earlier. Um, so he's writing to the church of God, which is at Corinth, but he, and he goes on to say, um, with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So it's not just writing to the people at Corinth, but he's writing to all who call on Christ. So he's writing to the, the universal church. He's writing something bigger than just to Corinth. Um, and again, uh, he ends verse 2 by saying, their Lord and ours. You know, the idea of the universal church. Um, just a, a, There's a, a term for universal church that was used in the past that kind of, is kind of confusing now. Um, when I was in high school, we went to a Presbyterian church and we learned the Apostles' Creed. And he said, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. That's not the Roman Catholic Church. Catholic, in that sense, means universal. And, that's, and, and today we don't see that used very much because it gets confused with the Roman Catholic Church. If I just say Catholic Church, you think of the Roman Catholic Church. So, but if you see that in some old writings, they're not talking about the Roman Catholic Church, they're talking about the universal church. So, um, he's, he's addressing it again to the church of God. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 1. Someone like to read that for us. Okay, again, it's to the church of God, which is at Corinth. So he's consistently, when he writes to Corinth, he's the church of God, which is at Corinth. Um, and this is unique. None of the other churches are addressed this way. This term, church of God, is, is not common in the New Testament. Um, it's used four more times in 1 Corinthians, referring to God's universal church. Is that to make sure it gets to the church of God, not one of the other 
Yeah, I might need to distinguish him from yeah those who worship Apollos and Aphrodite and yeah the God's church yeah yeah um, the only other place this phrase is used is in Galatians where Paul says I persecuted the church of God and again he's referring to the universal church so um, why why is he addressing them differently um, you know, I, I hadn't thought about what Debbie mentioned. You know, because if, you know, that could be a reason. Because it could if be a reason. Being a Corinthian, yes. very. That word itself had bad connotations. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it sets up the basis for these books being, you know, read all over the place where right. the gospel is being preached and yeah. the churches are forming. Yeah. And so, you know, you know, one of the reasons might be because of the connotations of that word that he avoided it. But, but he does go on and he talks about all believers elsewhere and their Lord and ours. So he does emphasize the universal aspect of it. Um, and I think, you know, part of it is, uh, you know, he's writing uh, to a lot of instructions, a lot of corrections, and he wants them to understand he's not picking on them. The whole church, all the churches need to know this stuff and they need to follow it. It's not just you. This is, and I think there's places we'll see later where he says, uh, you know, this is our custom in all the churches. So he's not, you know, they don't have a special set of rules that just apply to the Corinthians. So he's, he's trying to avoid that. Um, now, one of the commentaries pointed out another thing. Um, the word church is, um, in Greek, is ekklesia, and that word means assembly. And when you look at Greek culture and their political system, they were democracies. Uh, one of the things you see in a lot of Greek cities are these amphitheaters. You know, when you were judged, you were not judged by 12 of your peers. You were voted on by the whole city. Everybody came out. Um, I, I read a, a biography of Alexander the Great, and there were places where he'd be out in Persia and they'd have a, a soldier or, or an officer would have violated the law, and he was tried before the entire Macedonian army. They all voted on whether he was guilty or not. That was what they did. So they had these huge assemblies. <laughs> Let's look in um, Acts chapter 19. This is that mob at Ephesus. Where they, Acts chapter 19. <clears throat> and someone like to read verses 29 through 32. Who 
So then, some were shouting one thing and some another, for the assembly was in confusion, and the majority did not know for what reason they had come together. Okay, so yeah. so verses 30 and 32, we have the word assembly. That's the one we have translated church in uh, most places in the New Testament. So the commentary was pointed out that when they were so used to having civil or civil, civic, I guess, assemblies, that Paul wanted to distinguish this is not a civic assembly, this is a assembly of God. It's different, so um, they may have needed to do that too. You know, and so there's, you know, there's multiple reasons for why he uses this phrase here. Um, sometimes we look at things and say it's either this or that, and that's not, it's both and. You know, it clarifies who he's talking to, avoids some bad connotations, <laughs> and, and then again uh, lets them know that they're part of the whole universal church. Now he goes on in, in, uh, in these verses, and he also emphasizes that they're sanctified in Christ, <clears throat> and they are saints by calling. So this refers to their holy petition or position they have before God because of their union with Christ. Not because of anything they do or because of their behavior. It's because they are united with Christ and so they are sanctified. This is again called positional sanctification. And I want to look at Ephesians chapter 5. This is a section on marriage, but it illustrates what has happened here. In Ephesians chapter 5, someone like to read verses 25 through 27. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Okay, so that's our position in Christ. We've been washed. We've been cleansed. By Christ, we have a holy, blameless standing before God. And that's why I keep thinking in Hebrews, he says, let us therefore come boldly before the throne of grace. We can walk into God's presence without feeling guilt, without feeling dirty, because, because Christ has sanctified us. We are holy in Christ. <clears throat> now I've got a. I mentioned an illustration of this when I think of um, in England where they have royalty, <clears throat> and you've got um, Kate Middleton, who was a commoner. Today she's Princess Catherine. What did she do to become Princess Catherine? What did she do to become royalty? She married the heir. He married her. He married who, her. who do you think asked who to marry? Yeah. Do you go to the crown prince and say, you know, I want to marry you? No, that didn't. That might have happened in that case. No, I don't think it did in that case. Um, so, so the moment, you know, he went to her, he asked her, she said, yes. That's, that's all she did. She said, yes, I will marry you. I will agree to marry you. And so she is now royalty. Now, one of the things that we have, uh, you know, in the church is, positionally we're sanctified. 
That happens when we're saved. Now we spend the remainder of our Christian life learning to live that way, to live in accordance with our calling. Um, and I think of Princess Catherine and her role in England, and she is doing that. She is acting like royalty. You know, she knows what the requirements are. She's doing everything just right. She's living in accordance with her position. Um, we also have Harry and Meghan. She, Meghan is also royalty, but I don't think she acts like it. She acts more like a spoiled American celebrity. <laughs> so she has that position, but she's not living in accordance with that. And that's what we have to deal with in our lives all the time, because you know we are God's children, we're, God, we're heirs of Christ, we have a royal standing before God, we need to act that way. So, again, our relationship with God is based on our positional sanctification in Christ, not on our practical lifestyle. So, um, you know, even though we're saved, we don't live holy enough lives to be able to appear before God on our own basis. You know, we can't do that. So we appear before God based on the merits of Christ. So, you know, as we go through the book, Paul's going to be awful tough on him, especially in certain areas. Um, and so he's beginning this book, he, by, he's giving them some reassurance. Uh, you know, first he, you know, he's telling them they're, they're part of the universal church. You know, you're, you're part of this whole thing. I'm not picking on you. Um, and then their standing before God is solid. You know, it's based on Christ's sanctification. It's not going to be threatened by their failures. They have that solid relationship there. And since they belong to God, it also means they're under God's authority. And Paul says, you know, again, he's God's apostle, and he has God's authority to instruct them and, uh, and give them instructions on how to live based on the authority of, of Jesus Christ. Now he ends uh, this introduction with his typical greeting, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's wishing them grace to understand God's grace, um, to understand God's gifts to them, and again, unmerited favor. You know, we don't earn it. God just blesses you. Uh, he blesses you richly. Um, and he gives you peace uh, between each other and, bet and between us and God. Okay, now verse 4 kind of starts a little bit of a different topic. And uh, we're getting close to time to end, so I think we'll close there for now. And it's a good, good breaking point, so... We'll stop there. Brian, would you like to close in prayer for us this morning? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this teaching and for this letter that clarifies for us that we are yours, not through anything we do, but for something you did for us. And to teach us how to live in your will. And to teach us that we're not the only ones that live that way, that it's a general way in um, we want to 
just you know be with us for this next week to come and be with Robert and his message. Open our hearts and minds to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Their civic assembly. Man, you'd be getting them all the time. <laughs> everybody had to judge everybody. Yeah, I don't think they, maybe they didn't have as many trials as yeah. <laughs> we do. <laughs> I'm sure they didn't have as many lawyers as we do. Of course, I noticed that Paul calls himself an apostle.